You are listening to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, a.k.a. She. You can anticipate being inspired, discovering some inner and outer wisdom and inspiration. Without further ado, let's dive into Be Simply. Welcome to Be Simply. This is she, a.k.a. Suzanne Toro, and today... We have special guest Sebastian Siegel. He is a writer, producer, director, and author. And we're going to be celebrating his recent release of Grace and Grit, starring Mina Suvari and Stuart Townsend. This film is based on a true story written by Ken Wilber. As Miriam Williamson said it so beautifully, Grace and Grit is an epic love story. Sebastian's adaptation of this powerful book stays true to the source. The movie is a testament to the transformative powers of love. In addition, John Mackey stated, like the book it's adapted from, this film is brilliant. Grace and grit will shake you and maybe even awaken you in some way. This movie is a must-see, especially for anyone interested in love or consciousness. So without further ado, let's dive in with Sebastian Siegel. I want to welcome Sebastian Siegel. He's here uh, to celebrate his great work with Grace and Grit. He's a writer, producer, director, and author. So Sebastian, thank you so much for coming here today. And I'm really excited to talk about uh, your great creation and release as of yesterday. Has have you absorbed, because in the past week you've been at a film festival, uh, you've been uh, interviewed quite a bit and get, getting rave reviews about Grace and Grit. For you, just on a personal level, before we dive in, how does that feel as far as uh, a feedback loop with you know, having this journey to hear? Uh, I appreciate the question because I think it's, I think to achieve anything in life, um, my sensibility is that we have to be in service to it. So whether it's love or relationship or vocation, whether it's gardening or painting or child rearing, uh, we have to be in service. And so in the one way that the self and the ego is a great vehicle for the soul to be able to transform, ultimately, I think in order for that transformation to occur, when we take ourselves out of the equation and we put ourselves in great service to the, the, the thing that we're doing is when we yield the most light and the most flowers and the most plants in the garden and therefore the most love. So in terms of how do I feel, I feel great, but I feel um, it's less, it's not, you know, about me. I'm just, uh, you know, in service to this story. Um, I feel the best when I'm in service to something. And I think this movie is uh, really about being in service to love and how love transforms us when we're in service to it. Um, so it's the same thing. I, I uh, you know, look at everything long term, many years, you know, five, 10, 20 years going in the future. And then I think about this brief instant of life that we have here and think about just, just uh, moving the bicycle forward and appreciating the view and also um being dedicated to uh you know breathing in the air and and to pedaling so <laughs> yeah uh, when i say yeah uh, you know moving the things forward so um it, you know it's wonderful that uh, people uh, are responding yeah to the film uh, i'm just one of many 
many amazing artists uh, who collaborated in order to bring this to the screen. And so I'm grateful to have partnered with all of these you know, wonderful people and uh, been able to be here now to have the opportunity to create this film. Beautiful and such, such a, you know, there's so many layers to this movie uh, as we dive into being of service of love and just the possibility of love. What struck me uh, is that, you know, oftentimes we have ideas about how love will arrive and the conditions and the setting and uh, that they have to be just right for us to be ready. Uh, and sometimes like in the story, just to turn into it anyways, even though maybe it's not what we would have written on our screenplay of life as a circumstance. Uh, can you share a little bit about, because there obviously was some serendipity for you to end up as the one to write the screenplay from a book, which is uh, not an easy feat. Uh, a lot of times people uh, do not like the movie that's made from a book, but everyone is really resonating with it. And then I think maybe people read the book that haven't read it. Uh, so that's kind of fun too. Uh, for you, what was the calling for you to dive into? Obviously you have a relationship with Ken maybe from years back, but what spoke to you most about uh, taking on this project? Uh, first of all, it's beautiful what you said about um, the script for our lives and having a story and a sense about how things are supposed to unfold. and. You know, you think in, in stage one of getting out of our own way and this sort of, you know, very like sage, you know, whether it's Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, that we have to conquer the self in order to allow the world to happen in the most magnificent ways. And really what that is, is instead of allowing the subconscious to always affect the conscious, in other words, instead of making abstract decisions that we're not aware of. What do we eat? Who do we spend time with? What do we give our attention? The idea behind conquering the self is that we use the conscious mind to influence the subconscious. And then there's a feedback loop then when the subconscious comes up and drives our decisions so that they're wiser, so that they're more gracious, so that they're more engaging, so that they're more compassionate, so that they're more fluid in the world, which is a natural state. So I appreciate what you said about that and, and referencing that to the movie about not being trapped by a story of what we think love ought to look like. This person ought to be this and do this and have this and treat me like this, etc. Instead, just saying, whoa, love is showing up in my life. And this yeah. is amazing. And this, this is a little prickly. It hurts a little bit. But you know what? That's allowing me to get stronger and be more graceful here. This person, whether it's a, a, a parent or a child or a friend or a lover or vocation, you know, this, this person agitates me in a way, what, uh, because this elicits a response, what an opportunity for me to grow and learn and become more and serve more, you know, and then that's really when we're in the seat of love, right? When we're like, <laughs> whoa, it's like anybody. And for example, just to use a very basic analogy, if we go outside and it's brutally hot or it's brutally cold at first, we're like, no, no, I want to get warm or I want to get, you know, I want to, I want to ease off on the heat, but then we get out there long enough. And we say, you know what, this heat or this ice cold is really doing something for me. And then we fall in love with it, like yeah. taking ice cold showers. When I first moved to California, the, the, the water ran out of the place I was staying, renting. And 
I had to go downstairs in the morning and, and, and shower off in a cold hose. And at first it was like, oh God, you know, I wish I had hot water. <laughs> but I became hooked on that. So for the last 20 years of my life, I have to have an ice cold shower. Mm. And if I go somewhere and there's no hot water, no problem. If there's no cold <laughs> water, I'm like, you know, I've, so in other words, I, 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 by force, yeah, I've transformed into adoring something uh, in life that I've then discovered a new terrain in myself. And I think that's the mechanism of love, whether it's in relationship, is to be open. So I really appreciate what you said there about that. In terms of what drew me into the film and what was why was I interested in making it, it's very much the same within that theme. So I think your intuition is right on point. That I just, I read the book, I was blown away. And, people around the world in many languages, whether it's Spanish or Japanese or German, were also blown away. And I and it, I was like, the movie, it's such an emotional story. And yet there's something that's inspiring and ultra uplifting about it, right? And so I was really thinking about all the love stories that are out there. There are so many that are cliche um, or written in a way that just love doesn't happen like that. But then there are several which really describes the unique qualities in love. In other words, that we have to overcome something within ourselves in order to open ourselves to a greater love. And even in you know some very popular movies that are wonderful, like The Notebook, really that's the story about these two characters. They have to overcome some expectation within themselves, right. her and, and him, about what the way love ought to be in order to find the love they really want, that they never would have ascribed to, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing then, I think, if we look at a movie like Titanic, what's interesting about Titanic in, in relationship to this film is that Titanic is not really about the sinking of a ship, right? The movie, yeah. the love story. Yeah. It, it's just that the sinking of the ship forces these two characters to confront their mortality. And so then to engage in decisions that they wouldn't have done long term. Yeah. Long term, she never would have been with this guy on this boat. Yeah. And he never could have been with her, would have been with her. They agitated each other, but because this ship was going to sink and they had to confront their mortality, then they said, you know what? I love you and I want to be with you. <laughs> and then by the ending moment, they're just saying, just hold on to me. Never let me go. Never let go, yeah. Jack. Never let go. You know, and it's so beautiful. And I think that people cry in that movie as I did when I saw it, because it speaks to something in our soul that says, hey, we may think we're here for another year or five years or 20 years or 30 years or whatever things, but whether it's a day or 30 years, it's going to go by in an instant. We only have this much. We only have yeah. one lightning flash of an yep. instant and life goes by. Let's really engage in that. And I think when people cry at the end of Grace and Grit or at the end of Titanic or at the end of Ghost or at the end of Love Story or at the end of The Notebook or at the end of whatever the movie is, it's because we are being, we have to confront within ourselves the reality that life is terminal, that it's going to end any instant now. And that if we don't engage now in love, we're never going to get the chance. And we almost cry because we're afraid that we might step forward and we might not take that chance. We right. might not jump into love. And it's sort of a reminder to ourselves to say, hey, <laughs> it's going to be scary. But if yeah. you really want to live this true love, you've got to be, uh, you've got to confront and, and acknowledge and accept that fear. So in terms of the question, what drew me into this book and to make it into a film? I was 
I was I was lightning bolted uh, in the heart by love, and I said, I've got to be in service to this. This is mm. an amazing reference point for what's possible in love, and and I and I want to be in service to bringing that to the screen so that more people can know the story and be inspired by the story in the same way that I was, and in the same way, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world perhaps have been. Mm. Oh, and so if you can share some uh, this phrase be in service to love uh in in your work because you get to touch a lot of people i mean just even building this film if people go and look at all the credits i mean the cinematography is beautiful everything's just exquisite uh but to be in service to actually that word uh throughout your life uh where where has that taken you even within this project where maybe you opened up more beyond what you thought you knew about love can, can you specify that question a little? Well, what, uh, within this, even if we keep it in the context of this film and then all the people that you interact during the film, what, uh, where did it take you a little bit deeper? Because typically when we're in service to something, we get, we, uh, it deepens within us, our understanding of what it is, you know, uh, it's like they're the little ahas, like, wow, the, you know, this is what it is. Uh, and I imagine for, Ken and Treya, they didn't, you know, that that was not the play they wanted to write out for their story and time together, but they uh, served them both so much, on so many levels. But for you, how were you deepened in the understanding of love through this process? Um, I think it's, uh, I mean, just in, I, it's largely ineffable, right? I mean, even just this conversation that we're having right now, right uh you know is a learning process is a way that we get to explore ourselves and get to know ourselves you know through this discussion and i think that through any time we're on the floor and we're dancing um, we get to know the steps in a different way if we're really fluid when you look at great dancers of argentine tango let's say and there is a very strict discipline behind argentine tango and yet the objective, ironically, or paradoxically, is that when the dancer goes to dance is to let go totally, to be totally fluid and free <laughs> and to mind both the discipline of the dance and the freedom of the dance. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that in terms of, uh, in terms of that, I think that speaks to a practice that, um, uh, brings about uh, deepening uh, throughout a process that never ends. Yeah, kind of like a relay race where we carry a torch, and someone else carries it, and someone else carries, it. and then maybe we carry it again in some other form, right? Yeah. And so I think about uh, never there never being an ending. You know, there only being steps. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when I think about the deepening from my own personal being, I try to breathe it in. And just feel it in every moment, right? Because there's no moment is final. Every every moment is absolute, but no moment is final. Yeah, and everything everything continues to 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 um, proliferate. You know, beyond whether it's uh, a parent's genes are carried forward from an offspring, from a child, you know, or a seed is scattered far and wide, and it gives birth, you know, and yields a new forest. 
um, or a story, you know, is carried down and, and brings about so many new conversations. And so I think about, I suppose I think about uh, my own deepening as just a process of enjoyment as one beat in the, in the music, as one instant in the dance. Right. Um, but I, and, and so, but I do, I do, uh, I think if I had to put a button on it, right, I think that um, I do have great respect for the relationship between liberation and discipline, mm. you know, for saying, hey, I'm really going to be mindful of the care I need to give here and take here. Yeah, I'm going to be at my best. And there's a discipline behind that. Right. And then also within that discipline or around that discipline to be totally free and open. Yeah. And, and that's always a challenge, you know, for all of us in every way, no matter where we're from. <laughs> Or what we're doing no matter where we're going and i respect that it's interesting because i was talking this morning with someone about the movie the black swan and in, in that movie i think articulates that very clearly that this girl uh wants to dance the black swan but she can only dance the white swan and so she's unnerved by this other girl who can dance the black swan so well you know and it has nothing to do with her but she's so unnerved by this other being that's totally unrelated to her really. But it's the mm. thing that ultimately is so salty for her. But then ultimately that's the thing that allows her to break free. That it had to it had to grind her a little bit. You know, it had to yeah. unnerve her, unseat her, unsettle her. Yeah. In order for her to open up and become more. And had she never given in to that discomfort, she never would have opened up. Mm. And then I think that it's interesting because that character follows a, a similar in one on one uh line of, of the arc of that character follows a similar arc to Treya and Grace and Grit in the way that at the beginning, I want to do this. I want to get this. It's all solution oriented. So in Black Swan, it's I want to get, uh, yeah. you know, I want to be able to, to be the best dancer. I want to dance the best dance. I want to do it this way. And yeah. for Treya, it's I want to get the guy and keep the love and make the relationship work and, and beat the illness and get better. And then by the end, you know, in the Black Swan, she says, well, you know what? I'm going to dance as well as I can. And I'm going to let all the salt and all the sugar in. Uh, and, and then she dances beautifully. And then at that moment of total acceptance and release, she's ready to move on to the next. And so she right. dies and it's and it's death with transcendence. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing then here with, with Treya that at the moment she says, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to give my best to being as healthy as I possibly can. I'm going to give my love fully to this man, to our relationship. Right. And then at that moment, she's totally at ease. And then she's almost allowed herself karmically to step forward and step and step beyond. And so then there, it's also death with transcendence. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a, yeah. And I think that's a valuable, I think that in art, whether it's in paintings or music or movies to bear witness to that and to reference that speaks to something within ourselves about mm -hmm. the importance of honoring that um, juxtaposition of giving ourselves fully, but also letting go fully. Yeah. Well, and you speak a little bit about the uh, value of friction. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people aren't comfortable with friction. <laughs> Being you're a person that likes cold showers in the morning, <laughs> you, yeah. you like maybe a little bit of the uncomfortable. Uh, from your perspective, even within this film, uh, where did you utilize the, the tension or the friction to become the catalyst to get more out of your actors, to direct in a way that went beyond, you know, 
the comfortable maybe. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, none of us are ever comfortable. We're comfortable with a certain amount of friction until it's the point that we're uncomfortable. And then that's really the point we need to lean, lean into it. Like in any meditative practice or in any yogic practice, right? When the stretch becomes really uncomfortable, that's really the beginning of the stretch. That's yeah. when it starts. That's not when you're into it. That's like when the, that's step one, right? It's like the same <laughs> with exercise or whatever the meditative practice is. Like when we're extremely bored in a meditation, that's the beginning. Yeah. You know, whether that's a year or 10 years or five minutes in, whatever the thing is, that's the beginning. And I think in film, what's so amazing about film uh, is that you have, you know, a hundred or a thousand people on a movie and you're together for this truncated period that uh, demands, you know, there's this, this uh, schedule that's, that's rigorous. And so it's ultra collaborative. Right, every department, you know, is working uh, together to create and put this picture onto the screen. And so, by nature, you know, you're working, let's say, 4 a.m. to midnight every day for a month or two months or three months or whatever the thing is. And just by sheer statistics, if you have that many people coming together for every day, the odds that one person is going to come to set and they've lost a lover or a friend or, you know, something like that is almost a hundred percent. Yeah. But because it has to come to an end, we can't bring that to work. That's something really, that's a, that's a really a, a standard to rise up to. And then the converse of that is that we must then, if we continue to work, uh, you know, in making film or any kind of collaborative uh, venture like that, understand that, Hey, someone who came to set today probably lost a lover or a friend or had a devastating thing or whatever the thing was you know and we have to not know who that person is going to be and so then engage with and treat every person as if they're that person and i really appreciate that aspect of film you know by recognizing the value whether it doesn't matter if it's craft or uh, uh you know dp or lighting or grip or actor or director or producer every being is integral to the success of the film just like every being is integral to the beautiful picture in life you know to look at a film as a microcosm of that yeah and so i'm a student of that in the way that that really helps a film really work uh, work well and i for me as a director and as a producer i drive a set in that way you know that's that's deeply collaborative and so uh you know if the question is at what point am i using this sort of friction or discomfort to make a better picture um, I allow those things are going to come up naturally and I have a, my tendency is to have a very Tai Chi sort of Zen way about it. I do yeah. an enormous amount of preparation in every department, you know, whether it's light or lens or acting or craft or uh, script, script or locations or wardrobe or costumes, etc. Um, and so then when the moments come up on set, let's say an actor is really not sure about something, it's true to the story. Um, does this thing look right? Does it feel right? You know, they really want to know because their career is on the line also. And they also want to do something that's truthful. If I know the answer, I'll speak to it. But if I'm not sure, instead of speaking to it, I'll discuss it with them. I'll say, well, what do you think? You know, and then I'll bring someone else in the room. You know, maybe someone who's a specialist beyond my specialty. You know, so the, the prop master, you know, somebody who's in production design, I might bring them in and say, hey, are we sure that this... Uh, tank or this car or this book really belongs in this scene? Is this really from 1987? 
you know, 100%, you know, and then we get to the bottom of it, right? In other words, I think that uh, to answer the question in short, um, to be totally comfortable with those fires uh, or those points of friction when they come up and to allow them as gifts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is a gift. What do I have to learn here? As opposed to, oh my God, I've got to answer this and move on. You know, no urgency, you know, but by by allowing it in as a gift, it, it then supports the solution. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. And a little bit of salt makes the cake <laughs> so much sweeter. That's right? true. <laughs> it makes fruit sweeter too. Uh, <laughs> uh, so being that you have, you know, consciousness as part of your discipline, meaning, I mean, we all have consciousness, but you choose to engage with it. Uh, how from being an, like on a set, maybe as a participant, not the director and producer versus um, what you choose to create, uh, how do you feel that's shifting within even your industry? Because there's a lot more awareness, I think, to people being mindful and aware. They use these words, but they don't necessarily all the time know the depths of them. Uh, for you, how do you feel uh, that aids to the success of your project? Because even this is a tall order, what you did. Like you took a book, wrote a script, and made a beautiful film. And it's very rare that that's successful, Sebastian. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, and it's a standalone too. Even if someone didn't read the book, you know, it's still this beautiful standalone. Um, so, how much do you? Is it so in, in part of you? Your your practices, meaning uh, your meditation, your Zen approach to life. Is it so much a part of your day to day existence that it's just there? Uh, and then, how do you use those practices to help others maybe touch it when they're not, not even aware of having that state of being in life? You mean uh, as a filmmaker, like bringing equanimity? How does that? serve the process absolutely yeah because they you know you could go to a lot of sets and see a lot of different things and yeah, you know yeah. and so there's this essence and then creation you know it's kind of the imprint you know and zen if i come in the room and stomp around and throw my keys down you're gonna be like whoa what's going on with suzanne or if i come in i mindfully close the door put my keys down i'm, I'm conscious that's different the same is happening when you say action right mm-hmm. uh because there's something subtextual uh, arriving. So how do you help your cast and crew, I guess, transcend that? And then um, how do you help when you're on a set that doesn't even operate with those ways and means uh, by just your state of being? What do you, what's possible within that? Um, Because a lot of people don't know what's possible within that. You know, you, um, as a director, as a producer, you're driving the ship. So uh, that gives an opportunity, just like in a restaurant, um, the atmosphere is, is dictated from the top down. Yeah, so someone comes to the table and they're a, a lovely waiter or server. Yeah, because they, 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 they appreciate the work and they probably the owner of the restaurant's lovely, right? Yeah. Um, and more often than not, somebody comes to the table and they're, they're lousy, probably they don't have a great relationship with the owner. Yeah, and so I think as writer, director, or as, as director, as producer, it, it's the re- responsibility of the producer and the director to create a ship that's really fun to be on. 
you know, to create a vessel that's exciting. Yeah. Cause it's like, everyone wants to make, you know, everyone in, in film or in any vocation wants to do whatever they're doing. Let's really make this fun. You know, we've got an objective, but let's make this fun. That's the purpose. Yeah. Right. So I like to drive a really fun set, you know, <laughs> and then by nature that's collaborative. Yeah. And so I had the time of my life, you know, shooting films. I love shooting films, but I've been on sets, you know, um, that were that were not nice to be on where the director screamed and yelled and people were uptight and it's awful it's unpleasant who wants to do that <laughs> who cares what are we really doing here you know what an awful way to spend like you know i remember thinking that like i've been on sets of thinking like why is this person even doing this <laughs> it's a horrible experience and everyone who's been on enough sets has a story about some director some producer who's horrible yeah. And this is like, you know, there's no life is too short. It's too short and it's too beautiful to to bring in a thunderstorm for no reason, you know. Right. Um now that being said, the pressure is enormous, right? You're spending right. millions of dollars in a very short period and you have you're beholden to a very high responsibility to deliver a product um, that is an artwork but is also a business. And so the pressure on that is very high. Yeah. So that being you know, with that going in mind, you know, it's important that everyone does enormous amount of prep and does their homework and shows up, you know, the actor's ready to perform, knows their lines, is super, you know, prepared, looks the part that the director knows everything that's happening on the film, you know, on every level, you know, that the everybody's prepared, that the costumes were. So when you have one person or two people or three people that aren't prepared, it starts to show up. You start to see little splinters and you can identify them. And then when those things happen, you know, for me as a director, as a producer, it's going to that department or going to that person and saying, hey, okay, I can't get now upset with this person. There's no point. Yeah. Because here we are. You know, we're six hours in today. We got another 10 hours to go. And we got 10 more days or 20 more days to go. You know, what are we going to do here? You know, so it's about saying, hey, you know, this is what I think is occurring. This is how I think it could be better. What do you think? Yeah. You know, that I try to yeah. be solution oriented that way. Yeah. You know, in terms of in terms of actors, you know, an actor is on the on the on the movie the shortest time, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many people are doing such an enormous amount of prep and such an enormous amount of post that can be weeks or months or years. Right. An actor is only on it for a very truncated period. Shooting and prep. And that's about it. And then some interviews and, and such afterwards, right? Yeah. But the actor's entire career depends on this short, truncated period. Right. So you know, if an actor always wants to know the first thing, who's the director, which is why it's so hard for directors to get their first picture, because the actor has to trust them, has to believe in them. not what they think, not what they feel, but really believe that they're going to be able to execute this painting because otherwise the actor may never may not work. You know, the actor can look ridiculous, yeah. you know, especially if you're going to in an emotional piece, push an actor to be beautiful and ugly and emotional and gentle and cruel and angry and fight and embarrassed and proud and glorious and cry and love and make out and have sex and all these other things. Yeah. An actor's really got to trust the director fully. Yeah. So the relationship between actor and director is sacred. And I think you have many directors who started as actors are very good at getting performances because of that. Yeah. I grew up in theater. Um, I was fortunate, you know, I've been fortunate to work uh, quite a bit as an actor. 
um, you know, Quantico and Lost and Hawaii Five-0, and then a movie that's out today on Hallmark, um, you know, uh, The Family That Prays, etc. And so I know what it's like to trust a director and then to see the fruits of that from allowing myself to be totally vulnerable. Yeah. And then I've also, on the flip side of that, seen what it's like when, when an actor doesn't trust the director and they hold on too tight and the performance isn't really there. It's not bad, maybe, but it's not there. So it's my mission as a director, just like you look at, you know, to reference some of those Ben Affleck's, you know, is a, is a wonderful director and started as an actor. Um, you know, Clint Eastwood, obviously, Mel Gibson. You know, you have so many, Tyler Perry. You know, you have so many uh, who really are able to deliver wonderful performances because they understand theater and they understand, you know, what it is as yeah. an actor. You know, I mean, Clint Eastwood's so prolific and, yeah. and actors really trust him. You know, because yeah. he knows, he knows how to speak with them. He knows how to make them feel safe. So as a director, my mission is to make the actors feel safe as possible. Part of that is doing my homework and then delivering, coming really, 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 really ready. And then letting the actor know, look, my mission is to make the world fall in love with you. <laughs> right? That's my <laughs> mission. You know, so on this film with both Stuart Townsend and with Mina Suvari and also with, with every other actor, Francis, Mariel, etc., Rebecca, it's to say, hey, look, my mission is to make the world fall in love with you, right? I want every man, every woman to just be like, oh my God, she, he is amazing. Yeah. And not only that, I know how to do it. Yeah. I, and I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. And so once they trust me completely, then they're willing to go there. You know, then they're willing to be vulnerable because if they're vulnerable on the screen, the world will identify with them. Right. And in this film, all the actors, Mariel, Francis, Rebecca, and particularly Stuart and Mina, who yeah. showed vulnerability that is so attractive yeah. um, because it helps us feel, wow, I can do that. I can be that. I, I can. It's okay for me to falter. I can rise again through that. Right. So, you know, in terms of the friction uh, or the uneasiness or the discomfort serving the end product, um, I think in any artwork, in a painting, in a, in a, in a, in a song, um, in a movie, you know, those strokes of certain colors, you know, allow the, 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 the greater picture, those one chord, that one chord, you know, that one song that you love, it's like a weird outlier. That's the chord that you always remember. And in other words, that's the most vulnerable moment mm, uh, yeah. that helps the thing shine. Um, and so I think that we were able to put that on screen here. And uh, I thought the performances were really wonderful. And it's really, a, that's a collaboration, you know, of mutual trust yeah, right. and respect and willingness to, mm. to, to take risks. All the things you need in a good relationship. <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, good meaning growing. Yeah. 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 Transformative relationship. Yeah. Transforming and yeah. evolving relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, to your point you know you really feel like you're watching them like you're watching treya and uh ken and so it's like you don't i don't know so the the actors did do a, an amazing uh job that way so good job <laughs> uh you know you've been speaking a little bit of, about interdependence versus codependence uh indirectly <laughs> and uh how was the subtleties of that to help transform? Because, you know, obviously you have, you know, a breadth of 
information about interdependence from a spiritual practice, it appears, from an athletic practice, it appears, uh, and from an art form. How do you help uh, others, actors, and everyone on the crew to really work in harmony that way, like we do in nature, versus uh, being attached? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so how do I how how do I support the interdependence? You mean on a film? Yeah, because of the, you know the in in the Tao, I mean in a Zen approach, you know you're working with all the elements, you're in harmony with the, mm. the ecosystem. Uh, mm. But as soon as fear comes in, or attachment mm. comes in, or control, mm. uh, those mm. that can rock the boat a little bit, you know, uh, <laughs> or a lot. So um, is that something mm. that you just do through embodiment on the set um, and in working with people in depth as you're preparing them? Or mm. do you call that out or do you help train them a little bit so they can trust that, you know, mm. they are in harmony if they choose to be with the world around them? Beautiful question. And I've got two uh, uh, sort of brief answers to that, responses to that. One is that I think it's, it's just seeing it in other people, seeing other people's initiative and intuition and courage, and then just supporting that and then following them, you know, that a good leader, a great leader, a strong leader, uh, in which case, if you're on a set, the director is the leader, that uh, it's following that in other people, being able to follow that. So for example, you know, on this film, we were shooting and then there was this huge fire in California and we lost a day in a location. Now that's a lot of pressure. I mean, that's a lot, it's a huge, right that's potentially yeah. a huge stressor. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, on this set, people really rose to the occasion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had this fire that was storming through California. We were renting a house up wow. in Malibu and it was literally, I don't know, several hundred yards from the house and the whole hillside was on fire. Wow. We had to evacuate and we've got, you know, we've got wall to wall, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of gear and, and, right. you know, you know, tons of, of equipment and it's all under, you know, it's all insured and stuff, but we can't lose many days. You know, we're right. like losing a day is a huge thing on a movie. Yeah. And I mean, the number of people who are willing to go up there, that's not their job to go up there. And while this fire was creeping over the hill and load stuff into trucks and into, into their personal cars, mm, you know, shows. and I mean, it was pandemonium, fire trucks and donkeys and horses mm. and animals running around in North Malibu and Agora. And yeah. I was so inspired. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, for me, then I, I'm Scott, you know, these people are doing this. I'm excited. <laughs> this is like, like William Wallace and Braveheart. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, let's go up there. Whatever it takes, it becomes more. In other words, being in service to that thing becomes more important than whatever we're doing. This might be foolish. And, you know, the fire truck thing, you can't go there. We're saying, no, but we're going, you know. We did it. You know, we did it. And we went up there. And that was like, it was exciting in the way that it was. It was saddening what was happening with this fire and so many people right. losing their homes. But it was exciting to be part of some microcosm of people who were willing to risk beyond themselves. That this is no longer about a movie. This is just yeah. the right thing to do. Like right. we're all up there just being solution oriented in a tiny little way we can. Can we can we let these animals out? What do we do with them? What do we do with the gear? What do we do? How do we support each other? What's valuable? What's not? Yeah. Just like in the sinking of Titanic and that love story there, what ultimately becomes important yeah. in that instant, what we're doing becomes the most important thing in our giving ourselves. And I mean, when we did that, it was exciting and it was um, unnerving and it was, and it was beautiful. 
Like, I yeah. mean, we were just moving <laughs> in a way that you can imagine. So I think it's that in any moment on set, you see somebody doing something and stepping above and beyond and nobody knows they're looking. And I have the opportunity as a director to say, hey, awesome job. Like, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for that. And then uh, and that makes somebody feel seen. Yeah, because right. we all want to feel seen. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and I think that's one thing. And then the other thing is the... There is a standard by which then, of course, a director and a producer on the flip side of that uh, needs to drive a ship and people will be uncomfortable and will get a sense of lost and they're feeling vulnerable, but they don't want to share it out loud, but they really need somebody to talk to them. And oftentimes that's usually with an actor. Yeah. Um, and I've had many experiences on sets and that's happened, of course. And then on, on the set, you know, on a, on a few different occasions, a number of different actors came to me in private. Um, and, you know, just sometimes minor stuff saying, hey, I'm not sure about this scene and what are we going to do here? Or uh, an actor is just on for a day or two and might say, hey, I'm not, you know, they're feeling uneasy about the dialogue or something. And I might take them aside and say, hey, I've got, you know, five minutes, you know, during lunch. I'm going to take it. Let's just you and me run it. Just you and me. We'll go around and just yeah. me and this person. No one ever knew that existed, you know, between me and this actor. And we just boom, 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 boom. And then say, look, throw the script away. Don't worry about it. Like I'm the director. This isn't going to end up on screen if it's if it's if you're worried about it. Like I'm here with you. I'm here to support you. So immediately allowed that that actor to, you know what I'm saying? I'm your yeah. I'm your fan, man. Like I want you to be great. My mission is to make you great. You don't have to perform for me. Perform for you. Yeah. You know I'm here to support you in that. And that and then that once the actor feels seen and safe, boom. And then on two to a couple different occasions with different actors and it's. Then it showed up on screen and the actor was just so present and like glorious. Yeah. yeah. And game changer. And I think that's really the job of a, of a director in every scene with every actor, you know, yeah. in order if they really are, are, want to get something that's, that's, that's true and that's vulnerable. So yeah. being Bravo. inspired and following inspiration and then allowing other people to feel comfortable and safe. Mm, beautiful. That's love in action. So that's yeah. nice of you to extend, <laughs> extend yourself that way. Uh, what other way is there? <laughs> well, I agree, but not everyone agrees with that. <laughs> so it's, it's beautiful to see. Uh, the other thing that I felt when we speak of service, this film, and I really encourage everyone that's listening to this to see it, and we'll shout out shortly where they can watch it and see it. But um, being that I've you know, been personally touched by uh, the, the mm. cancer word and in addition you know with family and friends but I work with clients you know and families in this process so uh you know I've seen mm. this story many times over like you know where the the process people go through and one thing that gets overlooked uh you know when I work with families is the support person and that's what Ken was and everything they're going through because they have to like show up every day and they're like they are more important than me you know it's ultimate service you know uh just trying mm -hmm. to help this person at this really uh, precarious transition in their life um i i just what was curious for you and maybe an extension of ken is uh how you know that process was for you to really carry that because i mean wow everyone wants ken as their support person through cancer <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's available <laughs> i mean wow yeah, if you're not feeling well ken wilber will take care of you <laughs> yeah look good to me i want to be have somebody cook me vegetables and dice stuff up and go to the market and all that stuff yeah. i'll take it yeah absolutely exactly <laughs> 
um yeah and then the, the and you know, <laughs> like the the importance of the healing on the other side of that of course you know loss is one thing but whether you know they went through so many years uh yeah. and obviously he he met some of his wall in the middle of that but if you can share how one you transcended that in the film because it was just so beautifully done like i said ken might have a long list of people saying could you come <laughs> take care of me but uh, ken, i think uh, also uh, it helps other people that have been in the support position to understand that it's okay to like lose it in that process and it's not uh, that's very real uh, and it's not because you're a bad person it's just be, it's it's heavy it's a heavy weight when you're dealing with mortality in such a uh, fiery on the moment experience. But if you can share a little bit about that for you and how it touched you and what you've witnessed even in uh, Ken's process of moving from all of that back into his life. I know he's very Yeah, quiet. I think there are three, I think there are three throngs of that primarily. One is about how much help is helpful and how much is too too much. And I think that he struck that chord, you know, and discovered that in himself and with her, you know, that we want to, if we see someone, you know, I was a, with someone a very close to me many years ago uh, in Hawaii and, and we were up on the rocks and uh, uh, jumping off this area, um, you know, where it's sort of, there's a cliff and then the, the, the waves come up, you know, yeah. and then, and, and she jumped off and, um, and then she was trying to climb back up and it was a bit of a struggle and it was a little bit of a precarious situation. And it would have been very easy for me to help her up, um, but I wanted, I didn't. I waited because I felt she could handle it and I felt that if I did it, I might baby her too much. Mm. Yeah, and then there was a guy next to me who immediately said, hey, you know, we went, and I said, no, 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 no. You know, and then she got it and she got it on her own, right? Yeah. And then she felt so proud. Out and then she felt <laughs> boom confident, yeah. you know. And I was watching and ready in yeah. the moment, you know. Yeah. And later she said to me, you know, that meant so much to me that you let me do that, right? Mm -hmm. And then again with my grandmother Noreen Nash, who's um, 97 now, amazing. Um, and I used to take her for dinner every week. You know, I'm not a very, uh, I'm outgoing, but I'm sort of a reclusive guy. And so I used <laughs> to take her for dinner every Monday or every other Monday, you know, once a, you know, a couple times a month. Um, and one time, a couple of years ago, she's in her mid nineties, you know, we would go to, she would still get dressed up with the hat and all this stuff. Yeah. And we went to this restaurant and it was like really crowded in the, uh, in the front of the restaurant. Right. Yeah. And if she gets bumped and falls, that could be it, you know, right. at that age and, and fragile. And I'm watching to make sure that she's safe. I'm really paying close attention, but I also want her to do it on her own because I want her to feel like a woman, you know, I want her to feel independent. And so then, you know, we made our way to the table and I'm watching her, you know, to make sure like there's no vulnerable, but I'm not taking her arm always, you know, I'm letting her do it on her own. And we got to the table and then she said to me, she says, you know, I really love the way you, you, you treat me. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, you know, you don't baby me, you know? And I, she says, I love it. My friends will ask me, can I get you groceries or does that? And I appreciate all that. She goes, but you make me stand taller. You know, you make me feel independent, you know, like a woman. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of, you know, being a support person, you know, in this story, Ken and Treya, like Ken is really loving her and devoted to her in such a selfless way that's glorious. And it's a reference point for what's possible in love and in service, but not too much. Letting her also make her own decisions. And if she 
if he didn't agree with the decision, he would say, hey, I don't agree with this. Mm. I don't agree with this, but let's talk about it. And then once yeah. we make the decision, ultimately it's your decision, babe, and I'll right. back you fully. Yeah. You know, and I think that they came to a very clear agreement about that, which is really well written in the book. For instance, they go to see this uh, healer who's sort of a new age healer and Ken is not new age at all. Um, but people will confuse that. Some sort of yeah. critics have like been, have misused that term or that right. understanding. That's fine. Um, you know, and he was very anti new age, you know, this guy's transcendent. You know, he's one of the yeah. most brilliant authors in history. And I think that at that moment in the 80s, when uh, Treo wanted to explore those, he said, hey, this is my thought on it, but it's your, th let's go. At the very least, it'll be yeah. an exploratory process. Let's <laughs> do it. I back you 100%. You know, and in this scene, uh, in this movie, you know, we, you know, speak to that. And when they go see uh, this character played by Mira Hemingway, which is a really beautiful, really funny scene. Yeah. You know, it's that, the tension between, you know, and it ends up being a wonderful experience for them doesn't yeah. matter what the result is. It ends up being a wonderful experience and that right. in and of itself is a um, So I think that it's about helping and, and serving, but not too much, not being forceful, not being too yeah. paternal, not being controlling. And then the, the other aspect of that is what does it do for ourself, right? Mm -hmm. That it's one of the paths of enlightenment in a Buddhist sensibility that service and devotion yeah. is the greatest path, the, one of the greatest paths to enlightenment, right? right that we can, by giving ourselves fully, all of a sudden, we don't matter as much. The thing that we're giving ourselves to, or the person we're giving ourselves to matters so much that we get lost in it, you know? That we don't get lost in the way that we forget ourselves, in the way that it's codependent, in the way that right. we, but we get lost in terms of the little me matters less and the big me matters more. The big me meaning right. the me that lives beyond me, right? Yeah. And obviously, and most certainly, you know, Ken Wilbur gave himself to this woman with such devotion and it was devastating for him and yet transformed him. Absolutely. Yeah, after she passed, he wrote, after a period of five years of hardly writing at all, he wrote three books mm. after she passed. Grit, Sex Ecology, Spirituality, and A Brief History of Everything. Mm. Three books that transformed the worlds of philosophy, spirituality, and psychology, transpersonal or integral psychology. I mean, yeah. rocked the world, right? Yeah. And many people who will read Ken Wilber's books, 30 books or something, oftentimes No Boundary or Up From Eden or Grace and Grit or A Brief History of Everything will be their first book. And A Brief History of Everything was my first book of his. And then, I mean, it blew me away. It changed my entire life. It changed mm -hmm. the way that I perceive and understand consciousness, God, spirituality, myself, the map of the world, evolution, you know, in a gross, subtle uh, and causal realm, mm -hmm. causal realms. And, uh, you know, and I mean, it just it, it blew me away. So that, at the very least, is indicative of the path, what the path of how the path of service transformed him. In other words, he wrote in a very short period, three books yeah. that were otherwise dormant and growing inside of him, right. but that were able to be manifest through this intensive five plus years of devotion to another yeah. being. Mm. Now we can't do it because of that, but ultimately when we are devoted to something, something 
uh, it transforms us. And I think that dovetails back into the question that you asked a little earlier about how am I transformed by this film? By being in service to this for so long, of course, I'm touching cornerstones within myself that understand service better than I did before. You know, I'm here to keep growing, of course, but I, it makes me better as a, as a friend. It makes me better as a lover. It makes me better as somebody who can support other people. Mm. Psychotherapeutically, it makes me better as a director. It makes me better as a writer. You know, it makes me enjoy life more too and feel yeah. more deeply appreciated to be alive. Yeah, beautifully said. And uh, for you, uh, <clears throat> what are you going to serve next? Uh, mm. Because I, you know, that you were at the pinnacle. Obviously, we have to uh, share this with the world and let everyone sip it up. Uh, but there's always other uh, pots on the stove. <laughs> yes. So the gestation period, but on a movie, can be months, weeks, months, years. Yeah. Um, I've got several IP um, that I'm in development on that I've been in development on some for a long time, for a few years others for months that are in different stages of book and screenplays and uh, production, pre-production. Um, predominantly the few that I'm looking at right now, um, all projects that I own, um, there are a few. One is um, called 180 and it's a sto true story adapted from a book. Uh, it's about a guy who is in Northern California, high schooler doing drugs, getting high can't find a sense of family, starts getting doing more drugs and partying more. And he's so charming that he just keeps getting away with it. And then uh, he does harder and harder drugs, Coke and X. And then he moves to Miami and he's selling cocaine and he's shooting heroin and he lives on the street and he goes homeless. And then he, uh, somebody in AA finds him and he goes to AA and he gets a sponsor in AA and he becomes sober. And then he comes back to California and he starts getting in real estate and he makes uh, millions of dollars by the time he's 30, before he's 30. Mm, wow. So it's really a story. That's why it's called 180, right? A 180, yeah. 180 degree turn. Yeah. And it's a story of a regular guy who just hits the bottom and is able to come back up. It's a story about a guy who's always looking for family, didn't quite find it, didn't quite find it. Put it in partying, put it in drugs, put it in debauchery, put it in pushing extreme, then put it in trying to be successful, mm. became successful, and then ultimately became an amazing family man. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Good friend of mine, it's an amazing book. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's kind of like Johnny Depp's Blow meets Wolf of Wall Street. It's called oh. 180, I'll direct. I'll be one of many producers on that. Um, and then uh, I've got another project called Man vs. Ocean. Uh, that's also the title of the book. Um, and it's a story about also a regular guy who is down on his luck and he is in England. And uh, this is a contemporary story. And he's a, a toaster oven salesman. And uh, he just is fed up with life. Everything's falling apart. And one day he decides to swim the English Channel. And he's not a great swimmer. And he does the English Channel and it's brutal. Wow. It's freezing. <laughs> But he does it and then he finds out about this swims called the seven oceans it's the seven mm. toughest ocean swim in the world no one wow. in england had ever done it before he sets out to do it it's swimming uh, catalina to la the molokai channel the suguru strait the english channel wow. uh, the strait of gibraltar and because he has such a tough time swimming he has this problem with his shoulder he ends up developing a new stroke where he swims like very uniquely kind of more yeah. like a dolphin and less a person and he becomes one of the fastest swimmers Wow. Uh, in history, deep ocean swimmers. He develops this very unique stroke that is his. And now he goes from like being almost like losing everything in his life. Yeah. Now he's happily married. He's in his amazing <laughs> relationship. He's got 
he's got a giant lake in England where people will travel from around the world to come and learn his stroke, to do triathlons, to be deep ocean swimmers. He coaches people to swim these 20 mile swims. He's amazing. Yeah. So it's a story of a regular guy. It's kind of like Rocky in yeah. the water, except instead of boxing <laughs> matches, it's these swim. It's a true yeah. story. It's an epic inspiring, kind of very Disney-esque, uh, you know, broad pop kind of family movie, up, up, upbeat, but beautiful story. And yeah. then uh, the other one that's at the, that I think will be next, um, I'm looking at a few different projects. One of them is a studio film, which is not my film, which I would just be on as a director, um, but uh, it's called Life Coach. Mm. And it was written by a dear friend of mine. Um, and it's a brilliant, one of the most brilliant scripts I've ever read. Oh, um, it's nice. very much like American Beauty. And that's yeah. uh, the story yeah. of this guy uh, who's like an Anthony Robbins type of character who starts off on the top. He's on the most popular show. He's got the best uh, book out there as a life coach, you know. Yeah. And then we look into his life and we find out that uh, his life is really falling apart. That his relationship is not good with his kid, with his with his wife, and then his world falls apart. And then in, in it falling apart, we look deeper and deeper and deeper into it, and he has to surrender fully, and, and then everything comes back and he ends up back on top again. Yeah. Uh, it's very much like American Beauty. It's a sort of a drama, a dark comedy. It's a very funny film. Um, it's highly stylistic film, uh, <clears throat> and I like that project very much. Mm. Beautiful transformation. And then, and then I'm also looking at, you know, it's interesting because I started as a writer, producer, director uh, in commercials and in trailers. Mm. Yeah. And so I've shot uh, on a yacht, on a Zodiac, on a helicopter, underwater. I've shot car chases. I've shot all the things, uh, you know, that indicate a big budget franchise thinking forward many years in the future that I want to be able to do those things. Right. And I like these brands like... Uh, uh, Amex and Rolex and Mercedes, these really clear brands. And I like them because they have such clear, you know, they're so clearly identified. Mm. And even shooting, you know, as a director, a two minute commercial or a three minute commercial, it's still yeah. just like shooting a feature film. Absolutely. It's just truncated. And I think, you know, one of the things for me that I learned from writing and producing commercials and trailers is that we need to know who, what, when, where, why, that it doesn't matter how big the car explosion is, and I'm shooting, I was shooting eight miles off the coast in a helicopter, you know, with the same deep John who I used on, uh, who collaborated with me on Grace and Grit. The guy's extraordinary. We've got a shorthand. I mean, we were way out shooting underwater. You know, I looked up in the ocean one day. I'm seeing him hang out of a helicopter. We were doing this outrageous <laughs> shot. Nice. And, and that's really a movie, you know, but yeah. it's a three minute movie. Yep. And it doesn't matter what those shots look like. You still have to care for the characters. Yeah. And that to make somebody care for a character in under two minutes is a tall order. But if they care for the character, then they can laugh. And those commercials were all funny commercials. Um, so I think that at the end of the day, whatever the project is that I'm doing, whether it's a big budget feature or a commercial or an indie art house picture, my forte as a director is one, drawing strong emotional performances, getting the audience to care for people, for mm. the characters. And two, making a very little bit look a lot. In other words, yeah. as a, as a, creator of commercials, I can make, you know, $100,000 look like $5 million. Mm. I can make a million dollars look like $10 million. Yeah. You know, I can make $5 million look like $50, yeah. you know, and that's, that's about knowing where and how to shoot and understanding mm. what are the driving moments in which, in what are the moments where the audience is really going to be in it? You know, how do we bring them in? You know, yeah. because if we bring the audience in, we're good. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs>
And I, I think you have this beautiful opportunity to uh, transform all of us through your art form, which is a gift, mm. uh, you know, mm. and as this film was a gift to many, I think it'll serve on so many different levels. Um, so one, I want to thank you for being in service to it and getting it to this moment. So that's exciting. Uh, can you share with everyone where they can see it? I know it's everywhere, but it's always good for you mm. to share. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's every it's everywhere. Movie it's in some theaters in uh, North America, so Canada and the United States. Uh, International is not set yet, but should be coming soon. But everywhere: Apple, Amazon, Comcast. You know, Rotten Tomatoes. You can go Fandango. You can go. It's like everywhere. Movie stream, right? Amazon Prime, yeah. etc. Um, and um, you know, I think that if people like the film, I'd love if people would write a review on Apple, Amazon. I think that, um, you know, some a lot of times it's interesting because some critics have really loved this movie, whether it's Screen Rant or The Playlist or Forbes. And then others have been very aggressive against it. And, and that's mm. fine. Um, and I think that um, we let the people speak, you know, let the people yeah. decide. Because a lot of times these critics love to see their name in, names in light. And right. they're never going to attack a film that might threaten their job. But if right. they have the opportunity to attack a beautiful film that they'll never be damaged by, they'll do it. And they do that. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so I think that it's important that if people love a movie like this, is this is this good for the world? Do we want people consuming art like this? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. So it only gets out there because people support it. So I think that the, and that's why I supported it. That's why yeah. I supported making it, yeah? You know, that's one of the reasons I supported making it. And so if, if people like it and they love it, if they leave a review and they share it with someone, that's the most wonderful thing that, that, that someone can do. You know? Absolutely. Put it on your streaming And the website's great. You know, no. Okay, we'll put that on there too. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, and I, I encourage anyone listening to this or watching this that uh, because it's, uh, you might have been touched by these topics sometimes people hesitate but it really I think Miriam Williamson said really nicely at the Illuminate Festival it was kind of cathartic like to watch it and I would agree uh, being that I work in this field and then uh, and been touched by it personally many times over that it, uh, it it was like it felt comfortable to be in and not like oh I just don't want to touch those I don't want to see that again <laughs> So. You know, it's uh, it's beautiful what you're saying. Um, the Notebook, uh, she has Alzheimer's, right? And it's not a movie about Alzheimer's. Uh, the Fault in Our Stars is about two kids, one with this illness and another one with an illness. Yeah. And it's not a story about love. It's a story about love. Yeah. Titanic is not the story about a ship. Rust and Bone with Marianne Cotillard, she yeah. has no legs in the movie. Yep. And you never see that in the trailer. It's not a story about a woman, though. It's just a love story. It's an amazing, amazing movie. Um, love Story, 1970, with Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. She dies of cancer, and it's the, one of the greatest love stories ever made. Yeah. It's not a story about a woman. It's a story about love. It's a story about yeah. this guy has to be like, oh, my God, I can't stand this woman. Oh, my God, I'm in <laughs> love with this woman. But, oh, my God, I'd give anything to get this woman back. Right? Yeah. That's the story. You know, yeah. the challenge is just the thing that drives them to get her. It's just the catalyst. Yeah. yeah. And so if we, you know, if we examine that, and the same thing like even Black Swan is not a love story, but it's a, you know, in the way that the challenge is what get, helps us to rise up. 
yeah, yeah. and become more. So thanks for that. And I appreciate absolutely. that. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and what a great way to that we can experience love during adversity, that we don't have、mm. to just be、um, a, a hostage to the circumstance. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think you showed that beautifully. So Sebastian, I really、Thank、appreciate you. you spending the time today.、Uh, super excited to、uh, assist in circulating this out into the world, and looking forward to your next set of creations.、Uh, your fingerprint. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say in your regular website. Are you okay giving that too?、Or、Please put that put that below.、Please. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right. Please. And what were you going to? And、say? I usually update、uh, all sorts of new stuff there. I'm pretty good at updating. We're pretty good at updating that.、Um, thank you for everything you're doing in the world and for how you show up.、Um, it's really it's an inspiration and.、Um, You know, we're all doing this,、uh, exploring this、uh, dynamic adventure together, and we're only here for one instant. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Sebastian. Keep up the great work. Great.
return.